0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. It's
1: my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, if I were your emperor and could fix health care, I would. But I do have some promising news to share with you about making people healthier at lower cost. And later, I want to talk about if you're an Amazon shopper, I want to make sure you avoid overpaying. I'm going to talk to you about how to do that. So, one of the real problems in the United States we have with healthcare is that so many people, when they have a minor illness can't get in to see a primary care doctor. And what will happen is many times someone won't get better. They'll get worse. They could end up dying. Uh, The care that you get later is a zillion dollars more. And a lot of times you'll let something linger and you end up with frightfully expensive specialists or you end up in the web of the hospitals where the inflation problems, you're talking about inflation, what's happened with hospital-based care and how the rates have gone higher and higher and higher, the reality is we've got things upside down and backwards. And as a country, we need to do everything we can to get people access to primary care. In the past, you may have heard me talk about how much I believe in nurse practitioners and physician assistants being key to providing primary care in the United States and having, if we need to, economic incentives for medical students, medical doctors, to go into primary care because right now the system is so tilted towards them going into specialization because of how long they have to be in school, how much it costs and all the rest. But I want to share something with you that I've been reading about and there have been reports in various medical publications like the Journal of the American Medical Association for one. Um, There have been a number of them that have found that there's an enormous cost savings when employers provide access to primary care doctors even on site at big facilities but do what they need to to see that you have direct access to a primary care doctor. Now the shocker is apparently the cost of health care for an employer drops by nearly half in a situation where you have access, ready access, to a primary care doctor. A lot of times, even if you have a primary care doctor and you call that office, getting an appointment is like trying to move a mountain. So having more availability is what large employers who have been doing this have been making happen, where they have medical practices Available for their workers for primary care. And that the cost savings are so huge, since so much of health care is paid for either directly or indirectly by employers, is a big number for them. But what I'm interested in is that people's health outcomes are a lot better if they go see. A primary care provider early in an illness and sometimes you'll go and be like well you're just fine a couple days rest you're going to be fine you don't even need an antibiotic you're fine but better that than have something linger that you ignore and it causes a terrible terrible problem something we're going to see more and more of that started just with rich people is where you'll have access to various levels of subscription services where for big money, you have a doctor who has a very small patient load and he or she is available to you on their cell phone. Uh, They're available for appointments at any time, all that, to things that are more applicable to middle-class consumers where you pay a much lower subscription than rich people are paying And it still means that you have access in situations for a same-day appointment or at most two or three days by the subscription service doctor limiting the total number of patients they have. And mathematically, you know how many are going to be uh, ill at a particular time, need an appointment at a particular time, you limit the total number of patients in a patient load for a doctor practice for a subscription, and you're getting back to having that primary care doctor or medical provider in the system. And we need to break the hammer hold that the various state associations of doctors have, the state affiliates of the American Medical Association, that have limited the ability for nurse practitioners and PAs to be able to practice. And in rural areas all across America where the health outcomes are disasters, they should be able to practice independently, completely, of any doctor practice so that we get medical care available to people in rural America. You should see the life expectancies of people in rural America. It's like rural America from a health standpoint and longevity lifespan has gone to a point where it's like rural America is a third world country as far as health. And that to me is scandalous and something we need to address and fix and overcome the lobbying power of the state associations affiliated with the AMA to get care where it's needed. The doctors aren't going out there into rural America to provide care. There's no money for them out there. So we need to get care out there the best way we can, which graduate a lot of PAs and a lot of nurse practitioners and get them out there saving people's lives and improving their health.
0: All right, Clark, let's get to some questions. This one's from Wen. Is it better to pay off credit cards each month in a lump sum or make several payments during the month? I usually make payments weekly based on what has been charged.
1: So, if you are running a balance, then yes, it makes a huge difference to pay several payments during a month, because credit card interest is calculated daily. On the other hand, if you pay your balances in full every month, you don't need to do that you'll be paying no interest but there are also people who make payments weekly like you are as a budget tool to make sure you're not charging beyond your means and that is a perfectly great thing to do if you want to do that and for people that are trying to get their credit score as high as possible what you do is you pay the balance you owe on a credit card down to zero before the billing cycle closes, and that will have a massive effect on your overall credit score, raising it. That portion of your credit score is, counts for roughly a third of what makes up your credit score, and that's the percent of your available credit you're using.
0: And this is from Susan in Alaska. My family's moving from Alaska to Texas on very short notice. We found out we don't fall under the company's normal moving protocol so they will not pay to ship our vehicles. We will only be in Texas for one year and then we'll be moved again, likely to a place where we will not be taking our own cars. Should we sell our vehicles in Alaska and find decent used ones in Texas, or should we ship our vehicles for probably $4,000 each? Normally I would say we should sell then buy, but the current vehicle shortage and high prices has me second guessing that decision.
1: So Susan, definitely sell the vehicles in Alaska. The inflated price you'll get for your car you're selling will give you the money you need to buy a used vehicle that you'd buy in Texas. So let some Alaskans enjoy your used vehicles and you, when you get to your new location in Texas, you already know there's sticker shock with used vehicles. You're just going to have to buy one of equivalent age and hopefully miles and hopefully you'll do just fine but certainly no matter what circumstance you're not going to end up paying four thousand dollars more on that sell and buy per vehicle
0: and from kevin in north carolina i'm planning to gift my 2015 gas suv to my mom My husband and I also have a 2014 LEAF that we love, but since its range is about 80 miles on a full charge driving on a hot day on a flat road, we need a second vehicle for longer ranges. We've been eyeing a Tesla, but the price tag is alarming. We're all for electric, but the LEAF does take about 45 minutes on a quick charge, a few hours on a standard charging station plug, and overnight or longer at the wall outlet at home. I'm afraid a car with longer range means insanely longer charge time. We know Tesla has supercharging stations, but we don't know how that works. Is it a subscription? Is it worth it? Also, what are your thoughts on, on other fully electric or plug-in hybrid vehicles? We don't want to rely on gas, but we also don't want to get stranded somewhere.
1: So there's a way station if you want to do it, and that's where you buy what's known as a plug-in hybrid. That For everyday driving typically to a range with most of them around 30 to 35 miles, you're an electric vehicle just automatically. But it has a gas engine, and when you do take a longer trip, you can fill up like any other gas car and go on road trips not worrying about charging. As For Tesla, the way it works is Tesla has a nationwide network of superchargers that charge a vehicle really, really fast. The newest ones charge a vehicle at a rate of about 700 miles of range an hour. The older Tesla chargers, about 220 miles of range per hour. You pay based on the rates at that time of day for charging at a supercharger. It used to be flat rate, but now you pay a variable rate, and you pay based on what it costs Tesla for the electricity where that supercharger is. In any case, it's a lot cheaper equivalent per mile than buying gasoline. So Teslas are expensive. A lot of their inventory is sold out through the third quarter, I guess it is, through the end of September. So buying a Tesla right now is not the easiest thing in the world if you're looking at buying new. I want to tell you, Prime days just ended for Amazon. And maybe you found some great deals. On Amazon and its competitors. Straight ahead though, I want to talk about the downsides to being hyper loyal to Amazon. I have friends that are so into the whole Amazon thing that without even thinking about it, when they go to buy something, they just go to Amazon. And I got to tell you the craziest thing. There was a new home built down the street from us. And they built this like micro house next to their house with this exotic kind of door that you can open from the outside to put in packages. And I didn't know that's what it was for, but I was talking to their next door neighbor and he said, yeah, they built that just for their Amazon packages, that they're Amazon addicts and they had some porch pirate problems So when they built their new house, they built a little Amazon delivery building, receiving building at their house. It's like a large dog house, essentially, that they built next to their house. And it's really cute. They built it in the same architectural style as their house house that's right there. But I mean, I'd say that's an addiction problem.
0: That's extreme.
1: And there are people who just do everything on amazon and the problem with that is amazon is not the cheapest most of the time it is so unbelievably efficient as a delivery service and we've talked about all the problems with the third-party sellers there's been a big brouhaha recently because amazon after exposure in three different investigative reports from different media outlets ended up getting rid of two of their highest volume sellers in their Amazon marketplace. Because as people had complained for years, the reviews were fake. Sure enough, overwhelmingly, the reviews were fake. And Amazon was pushing these sellers because they were bringing in so much volume. And now they've been exiled only because of enormous media pressure. But know that most of the stuff being sold on Amazon is not from Amazon. And one of the things you could have a problem with is returns. I just saw a story. I'm trying to remember. Was it Wall Street Journal? Somebody just wrote a story about the problems with doing returns with Amazon with many of the third-party sellers. And Amazon doesn't stand behind them. So Amazon has been a phenomenon. There are all these reports about how badly they treat their workers. Who knows? You know, when Walmart was in their massive growth phase, there was story after story about how Walmart was mistreating their workers. And there may be something about just being in a growth mode that people start to get uh, long knives out for you. But the accusations involving how Amazon treats their workers or mistreats their workers in the warehouses – and the delivery drivers, there's so much smoke, there's got to be some fire. So, yes, I do shop with Amazon, not very much at all. Uh, We have Amazon Prime just for the video. I ordered um, not very much from them because, truth be told, if you shop around, usually you're going to find stuff cheaper elsewhere. So, it's your money. And if it's all about convenience, go for it. But if it is about the price, that's not what Amazon's about anymore. And remember, if you didn't hear it, or if you did hear it, I want you to remember, if you have Amazon devices in your home, that Amazon changed their terms of service, and unless you go in and change your settings... Amazon helps itself to a huge chunk of the internet connection you're paying for to the cable monster or to a phone company. They just steal your internet and use it for their purposes. So if you do have things like um, Echo devices, the ones that use that
0: Alexa. A-L-E-X-A. Yeah, thank
1: you. Or you have (laughs) Ring devices or other of Amazon's hardware-software combination products, unless you change your settings, they will help themselves to your internet connection and give you no compensation for it at all.
0: All right, Clark, this is from Pablo in Florida. My sister and father told me about a quote-unquote great opportunity they heard about and joined. Red flags were going up as I heard the pitch, and I thought it could help your listeners. The pitch is the company is using investors, in quotes, to give small businesses in distress loans. They ask for a minimum of $5,000 invested, and they promise a guaranteed $500 a month return for six months, after which time they will receive the $5,000 back. In other words, a 66% return every six months. Of course, this sounds like a Ponzi scheme in the making to me, so I warned my family about how these worked. Unfortunately, they have been receiving their checks for a couple of months now, and my warnings fell on deaf ears. My family's already out $10,000, but I hope your listeners can be better prepared.
1: Pablo, as to whether or not this is an illegal Ponzi scheme or a lender lending to desperate business owners at huge interest rates, the reality is that your loved ones are in what's known as a promissory note thing, where a promissory note is where if I just said to Krista, Krista, will you lend me $5,000? Of
0: course I will, Clark.
1: No, that's not the answer you're supposed to say. (laughs) Will you lend me $5,000? I will issue you a promissory note, and I'll pay you 300% interest. Then you might say...
0: Yeah, for anyone else, I would say no, but with you, I would say absolutely You would rip I trust me off that at much. hundreds of percent interest. No, but you want you need the loan, right? Uh, maybe.
1: So anyway, <laughs> when you do promissory notes, there's no backing to them. You're relying on good faith and the honesty of whoever issues you the promissory note. So, Pablo, if they lost the ten thousand dollars, would it be harmful to their finances? If the answer is yes then they shouldn't be involved because the risk, even if it's legit and not a Ponzi is way too high.
0: All right. And this is from Bob in South Carolina. He says, I with two granddaughters in South Africa, my wife and I travel there frequently often for a month at a time while traveling. I keep up with various accounts online. And for many of the accounts, I have two factor authentication. Normally a code is sent via text rather than email. While traveling there, we usually get a SIM card from a local provider, so I have a South African number. How do I deal with the need to get a code via text when my USA number is not working? Since my last trip, because of COVID now two years ago, I've switched my carrier to T-Mobile's 55 plus plan, and they tell me I can send and receive texts there, but I'm concerned whether that's correct. How do most travelers deal with this issue?
1: So Bob, you're in luck. It is true. With T-Mobile, on the 55 plus plan is most of their plans, you have unlimited free texting almost everywhere on earth. And so you will be able to receive those two-factor authentication texts. You'll get your codes, you'll be able to use them, and you will be in good shape at no cost.
0: All right, and this is from Steve in Texas. Is home and auto insurance offered by Costco any good?
1: So Costco recently in many states changed providers for auto and homeowners, and I don't have experience yet to tell you what the uh, claims, claims processing and the customer service or no service is going to be like. Costco has one of the most important membership groups, maybe the most important in American business. They have, I think it's 60 million adults that are members who are generally more affluent than the average in the United States and they're highly sought after. So Costco is able to negotiate really good deals for their members through their services. And so the prices will be great but I don't know what the experience is going to be like if the chips are down, you have an accident or whatever. Auto and homeowner's insurance is a tough one. I mean, I'm the cheapest human alive, people think. I'm sure there are people cheaper than I am. But anyway, I'm really thrifty. But I'm always nervous with auto and homeowner's insurance to go with someone just because they're lower cost Because the reason you have auto and homeowner's insurance is for when something goes wrong, not when everything's right. So, yeah, odds are you're going to save money versus most anybody else buying auto or homeowner's insurance through Costco. The key, though, is what's the experience going to be like, and I don't know yet.
0: And this is a fun one from Al in California. He wants to know why you wear two watches. So, Al,
1: on my left wrist is a Samsung Galaxy watch, the most recent one. On my right wrist is something that looks like a watch, but it's actually a Garmin fitness tracker. And so I've been in the Garmin orbit for 10 years. And Garmin kind of beats you up if they don't think you're exercising enough. And I'm obsessed with exercise and fitness. So I'm not happy with the fitness offered in the Apple Orbit, the Samsung Orbit, any Android Orbit. I just love how Garmin hyper-focuses on fitness, and that's why I wear what looks like two watches the Garmin does tell time by the way but that's not why I wear it like today it's very unhappy with me because I've only been 6,118 steps and it set my goal for today at 16,180 so I am way short
0: that's a tough trainer
1: and it will (laughs) beat me up if I've not done it one thing about the Garmin though it's really frustrating I do yoga twice a week And it doesn't respect yoga at all. It gives me like no credit for doing yoga. I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.